in Revelation chapter 19, I'll tell you, some of these chapters have been uh, rather remarkable, haven't they? And you look at this, and uh, it's almost like uh, bad news after bad news after bad news after bad news. You know, one-third of humanity dies, and then the next third dies, and then half of this group dies, and just the constant pressure of uh, how God is at work in the midst of this earth during the tribulation. And so when we get to chapter 19, there's almost this pause, and there's this wonderful moment of really good news. And it's a praise fest, right? It's a hallelujah chorus, so to speak. All of a sudden, in the midst of this, all of heaven erupts because now we're at the very end of the tribulation, the last part of the seven-year period of time. And in heaven and in the midst of all that's going on, there's almost like this parenthetical moment where interjected into all these things that are taking place here on earth in order to bring about God's millennial reign, the Lord Jesus Christ's millennial reign. There's this pause, and it's not necessarily a pause, but it's almost like interjected in order to say, praise God because the Lord God Almighty does what? He reigns. He's on his throne. He knows all that's taking place. He understands all the things that are are occurring on this earth, and he has been bringing about that which is necessary in order for him to rule and reign physically from Jerusalem. I love Psalm 150. Because in the midst of our lives, folks, and it doesn't matter what happens, whether we get a false uh, information tweet about North Korea and ballistic missiles as those in Hawaii just did, right? Did you get this? Did you hear about this? Unbelievable. It came across, it was almost like an amber alert, but it was an alert sent out to people's phones, and it was basically saying this is not a test. There is a ballistic missile attack And so people in Hawaii were scrambling because they thought that they were going to be under attack. I mean, think about that. We're living in some amazing and remarkable days. But in the midst of it, we know the Lord God, the Almighty, reigns. And we know that we are to praise him. Psalm 150 says this, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise him with loud cymbals and praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And if you didn't get it, praise the Lord. I'm reminded of Philippians where Paul, in the midst of some very difficult circumstances, going through things where it's only because of his proclamation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not because he sinned or it's not because he broke the law, but he's under arrest and all the different things that he's going through, the attacks on his character, etc. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say what? Rejoice. So we can sing hallelujah. We can sing hallelujah no matter what happens in our lives. And sometimes that's easier said than done, isn't it? We go through things and it's tough. 
We go through difficult circumstances. We go through different uh, issues that we know have been filtered through the Lord's hands. He's sovereign over it. He may not have caused evil, but he certainly has allowed it. He may not have caused the hurt that you may be going through, but he allowed it. But we have the perspective that the Lord God Almighty reigns, and in the midst of everything, we are to praise the Lord. We're to praise him. And it doesn't matter whether you're driving in the car, whether you're at work, whether you're at home, whether you're going through a difficult circumstance or a good circumstance, you praise the Lord. You thank him because all of God's people should always praise the Lord. Why? Because of who he is. Because we know he's sovereign. Because he, we know that he's working all things together for good for those who love him or are called according to his purposes. We know that God is at work. And we never leave that out of the equation. We never take our eyes off of Jesus. We fix them on the Lord to make sure that no matter what's happening, no matter what's going on, no matter what the circumstance may be, that our eyes are fixed on the Lord who's the author and finisher of our faith. Because of who he is, we can trust him, we can rest in him, we can praise him even when it's difficult. And you know the beauty of it is, the fruit of the Spirit, one of the interesting things is, does this just happen because we make a decision to do this? I would suggest not. I would suggest we make the decision to yield to the Lord and then the Holy Spirit, God within us, begins to produce the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. And one of the things, one of the characteristics of love is rejoicing. It's long-suffering. It's walking through circumstances where we, we don't understand necessarily why we're even in the midst of it, but we can trust God to get us through because he's the one that empowers us to do just that. And he doesn't just tell us to buck it up, right? He doesn't just say, come on, pull the pants up and let's go and get the boots on, get with it. He goes, no, I, I know you can't, so yield to me and walk in the newness of my life, and I in you will produce the very thing that you know that you need, that you want, but you can't have unless it's me producing it in your life and then through your life. See, one of the things in Christianity that we've done is we've made this into a work. We leave thinking that this is something I've got to do, and if I haven't done it, and if I can't do it, or if I've tried to do it sincerely, and I've worked at it, and it's not happening for me, that it's my fault. And it's all about what I had a lack of faith, and you can kind of put it into whatever word you want to put it into. Well, it may be our fault in the sense that we sin, or it may be our fault in the sense that we're not yielding to Christ, etc. But the reality of it is, the Lord doesn't lay that expectation of performance upon us. In fact, Romans makes it very clear, we are no longer under law. We're no longer under performance. We are under what? Grace. And grace is the person of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ in us, living his life through us as we yield to him, as we believe in him. Obedience is an outflow of that because it starts with the heart and then it is seen in our activity. When we say praise the Lord, we're talking about making a conscious decision to acknowledge that Jesus Christ alone is worthy and that we are going to yield to him. And God then begins to indwell us in such a way that he is manifested, he's made seen through us. And part of that is joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. Let me give you four things in, in this 
particular passage as we look at the hallelujahs. All of God's people should always praise the Lord. And how do we do that? Well, we do that because the Lord will bring justice. We know the Lord will bring justice. And so in yielding to the Lord, we recognize who he is. We recognize his sovereignty. We recognize that he's in authority, that he's in control. We know that he's going to bring about justice. We also know that his judgments are eternal. (laughs) There's no going back on it. His judgments are true. They are righteous. They are also eternal. And as a result, we can trust the Lord who has a perspective on things and absolutely is in control of all things. Thirdly, he sits on his throne. He sits on his throne. He rules and reigns. And the idea there is that there's nothing that escapes his attention. There's nothing that escapes his notice. He knows all things. He is in control of all things. And he's working all things to bring them together so that all things ultimately are summed up under the authority of Christ himself. He is accomplishing that. And you know, the thing of the matter is, and when you get right down to it, I love this last point, he alone reigns. How many times are we fearful of different things and we, we think that somehow uh, we've fallen out of control or somehow uh, things are taking place that we don't really understand and so it just, fear comes right into this. The truth of the matter is, is that the Lord Jesus Christ reigns and he reigns all the time without fail. You can bank on that. I like what uh, Walvoord says about this particular part this passage says the great tribulation is now coming to its end and the spotlight focuses on heaven and the second coming of Christ. For the saints and angels, it is a time of rejoicing and victory. How cool is that? All this devastation, all this rebellion, all the opportunity for people to respond even, and yet they refuse to acknowledge their need of the lamb and the salvation that he's provided. And in the midst of it all, death and destruction and murder and martyrdom, the saints and angels begin to rejoice. You know, folks, I believe as you read through this, think about this, I believe we're going to be there at this moment. I think we're getting a precursor of what we're actually going to be able to participate in. Think about that. Don't just read this as if it's somehow another group of people. I believe this is us. I believe we're in heaven and we've been watching all these things take place in some way, shape, or form and we're coming to the end of this tribulation and think about it, we're about to have in one sense the millennial age established where the Lord Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign from Jerusalem and we are going to rule and reign with him as we've been faithful to him. And in the midst of it all, we're a part of this hallelujah chorus. Well, the Lord will bring Justice, And I think it's interesting because out of this, Revelation 18.20, the command was given for the people of God to rejoice due to God's justice. To rejoice. It was a command. It wasn't just an option. And we're not rejoicing about the demise of people. We're rejoicing about God's sovereignty, about his justice, about his faithfulness to accurately judge The fourfold hallelujah is a response to this command given to rejoice. And as we look at Revelation 19, 1 through 6 in this fourfold hallelujah, the first idea 
I believe it here is as we praise the Lord as the people of God, we praise him because we know that he will bring about justice. It says, after these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. That phrase, after these things, literally has the idea of a chronology. It means after the events of chapter 18. Right? If you remember chapter 17, it was the dealing of this false religion. And the Antichrist and his minions turned against the false religion. They ultimately took it over. And we have a picture, I believe, of the middle of the tribulation where he sets himself up. The abomination of desolation. And then as we move into the second half of the tribulation, you have his economic power. You have his political power. You have his religious power. That towards the end of the tribulation now, God is defeating Babylon and the system that has set itself up in rebellion against himself. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. The word salvation has the idea of the rescuing of those, the provision of salvation in order to rescue those who believe in him by faith and is certainly by grace. His glory, meaning the true identity of who he is, as well as his power, his ability, his power to do, his power to perform, his power to accomplish the very things that he says that he will accomplish. Salvation and glory and power belong, are of God himself. And he alone, in the midst of this, is worthy of worship. This great multitude in heaven is saying this. And in verse 2, it goes on. It says, Because his judgments are true and righteous, for he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. You know, it's interesting. Four times in this passage, obviously, hallelujah is stated. It's proclaimed, and it simply means to praise Yahweh, to praise God. Praise God. When you hear hallelujah, Think, praise God. That's what it means. And in the midst of all of this, heaven is simply praising God. Why? In this particular instance, because of his justice. His judgments are true and righteous. True means without error. Means genuine. He sees clearly. And he knows exactly how to judge because he is truth. He's righteous, meaning according to his holy standards. He does what he does, and everything that he does is right. It is true. It is according to his holy standards. I love that, folks. Do you realize that the Lord is so pure that even his motives are pure? A lot of times we think of activity. Righteousness is activity. Righteousness is righteous deeds. Activity that conforms to God's standards. But understand it, it really goes deeper to that because activities are simply an outflow of what you really are inside. And see, God's motive is always good, is always righteous, and therefore the activities that God performs, the righteous deeds that he is doing are always good. They are always righteous. He's good all the time. So we celebrate, we praise, we, we sing a hallelujah in effect because his judgments are true and righteous. goes to the very character of who he is internally. 
Well, he's judged the great harlot who is corrupting the earth with her immorality. In other words, her false worship. The false prophet, the beast, Satan, the false trinity had killed the harlot, taken over the world religion, and caused the world to worship the Antichrist. That's chapter 17. And then, as I said, in the middle of the tribulation, the abomination of desolation takes place, and the Antichrist literally sets himself up as God in the Holy of Holies, receiving the worship of the world, the falseness, the evil of this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3-4 through 4 speak to this as Paul writes to the Thessalonian believers, he says, let no one in any way deceive you for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. The man of lawlessness is revealed, meaning the Antichrist, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God displaying himself as being God. Hallelujah. Why? Because the Lord is just. And he will judge. And he's dealing with all these things. He's bringing it to a conclusion. And all of heaven is saying hallelujah. Chapter 18, the false trinity controls the entire economic, political system. And so the great harlot Babylon is judged. Well, secondly, not only has he judged the great harlot who's corrupting the earth with immorality or false worship, he has also avenged the blood of the saints. If you go back and you look at chapter 6 where the souls under the altar are crying out, how long will you wait until you judge? Now we see this being fulfilled. In Revelation 18:24 it says in her was found the blood of prophets, meaning Babylon, in Babylon was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. What an incredible moment. God brings justice because he is righteous and he's true and he puts an end to these decrepit systems that have set themselves up against the knowledge of the Holy One and in the same time he begins to bring justice upon those who have the blood of the saints and martyrs on their hands. You know, I want to encourage you in this. I remember years ago when I was down in Mount Dora, Florida. I was serving as a student pastor there and uh, had gotten to know an older gentleman in the church, and, uh, and he was murdered. It was a horrible situation. It was a robbery gone wrong, and uh, he ended up being killed. And so it was a huge issue in Mount Dora, Florida at that point. All the news was a part of this, and people from Orlando were coming up to do interviews. And because he was a member of our church, my pastor at that time, Bob Walker, uh, was constantly dealing with the press and talking with the family. And he brought me along with him because and, and, uh, he and I had gotten close to this individual. And so I participated in the, in the service. And it was a challenging service, to be sure. The reason for it is, is because uh, some of the grandsons were having a really, really difficult time with this. And you can imagine, right? Who wouldn't? And as I spoke and shared with the family in the midst of that service, the Lord put this verse on my mind. Never take your own revenge, Romans 12, 19. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. It's easy to say that here today, right? We can say that verse and say, amen, that's exactly right. But you put yourself in those young men's shoes. I went and played golf with these guys. I, I got to know some of them. They were just 
broken, angry. And one of the things they needed to hear was the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ is, listen, friend, God's justice will have its time. You can bank on that. There's nobody that's going to get away with anything. The Lord will bring all things together for his good. But trust the Lord to bring vengeance. Trust the Lord to avenge because God has promised to do just that. I would encourage you here today. I don't know what's gone on in your life. I don't know what's happened in your life. I look back on my life, and there's been things that I look back on, and I know that, boy, I was angry about, frustrated about. I thank God for the peace of God that he's given me and the forgiveness that he's allowed me to walk within because of his strength and his power. Vengeance is his. Maybe people have harmed you, have done wrong to you, actively maybe even doing that. I don't know. But trust the Lord. (laughs) Because he's sovereign and he's good. And he will bring about his justice. We can praise him for that. We can actively engage moment by moment in trusting him for that. And we don't have to worry about all the rest. Because we know that the Lord is on his throne. Well, not only does the Lord bring justice, but his judgments are eternal. Verse 3 says a second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. God's judgments are true. They're also eternal. And we're going to get into this because we're going to see Satan bound for a thousand years in the pit. And we're going to see this whole great white throne judgment and the whole second death and the lake of fire and all these kind of things as we go through the remaining part of Revelation. But understand that when the Lord Jesus Christ makes a judgment, it is eternal. Babylon will never rise again to shed the blood of the saints of God. Think about that. This evil world system. Right? Our, our three enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. Amen? That's exactly right. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And this world system that is set up against uh, God Almighty will never rise, and certainly in the same way that we see here in the tribulation. Praise God for that. The tribulation is over. God's victory is secured. It is eternal and his punishment is secure. Walvert again says this, the ascription of praise is followed by a second hallelujah and the statement that the smoke of Babylon will continue to rise forever. This cannot refer to the city itself but will be fulfilled by a perpetual judgment of the people who engaged in her wicked deeds. That's a sobering moment, isn't it? Like I said, we're going to talk about hell and Hades and lake of fire, second death, the pit, the abyss. There's all kinds of different words for it as we walk through. But understand the hallelujah given here is that God is not only just, but that his judgment is eternal. It is eternal, folks. That's sobering to think about. Not only that, but... Verse 4, we learn that he sits on his throne. And boy, I don't know about you, but this encourages me so often. I'm reminded about this by the Lord himself so many times. God is on his throne. Verse 4, the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen. In other words, let it be so. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise Yahweh. Here, the 24 elders, the four living creatures, again, are depicted. We saw this in the first few chapters of Revelation. I believe the 24 elders are depicting uh, the church. The four living creatures very well may depict all the angelic host uh, 
And as a result, there very well may be indicated here that the multitude that we've seen in the first two alleluias are separate from the elders and the angelic hosts. In other words, the first multitude is from the tribulation. They're the ones that have been persecuted. They were killed. They were martyred. And now they are saying alleluia. And in this third hallelujah, the church joins in. The angelic host joins in affirming what has been said regarding God, that he is just and his judgments are eternal. What an incredible picture, folks, of our praising of God. Wow. You, know, I, you think about heaven. I can remember when I was a little kid and I started to begin to think about heaven early on because my mom died when I was little. So I was faced with that, confronted with that truth very early on. Life is precious. I began to think about heaven. I began to think about the joy of heaven. Think about all the people that have gone on before. I was thinking about it this morning. I woke up really early and I was just thinking about the people in my family that have already gone on to be with the Lord. Precious, precious, precious people who love God, who served the Lord with their whole lives. I think about a lot of different thoughts on that. Heaven, folks, is going to be amazing. And when you think about the multitudes of people that have yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ, believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, have been indwelt and saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, and now are praising God, you get this picture of the multitude out of the tribulation, you get the whole church, you get all the angelic hosts beginning to praise God because of who he really is. He sits on his throne. They're at the throne of God and they're saying, Amen. So be it. Hallelujah. Praise God. What an incredible moment of worship, of adoration, of glory that this truly is. Well, lastly, he alone reigns. Verse 5, a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, willing servants of the Lord, you who fear him, the small and the great. And then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Alleluia, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. So here it is all culminated. And I believe all of heaven at this moment, all the bondservants of God, all the great, all the small, the angelic host, all of those saved out of the tribulation, all of the church, all the Old Testament saints are now before the throne room of God and with a mighty voice, so mighty that it sounds like many waters and mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord God, the Almighty reigns. Folks, we're Baptists. We have a hard time raising our hands. I'm going to tell you something. At that particular moment in time, we're going to have a hard time sitting down. We're going to have a hard time staying still. We're going to be rejoicing God in such a way that has probably never taken place before in our lives. And thank God we're going to have eternity to begin to praise God for all that he's done forever and ever and ever. Think about that. It's incredible. I love what Walvoord says on this. In other words, this is an occasion for every true servant of God to praise the Lord. Oh, man, no matter what you've been through in your life, you've experienced God, you've been saved, you've been rescued. He's true, he's righteous, he's eternal. And as a result, 
There's never an end to the opportunity to ascribe to him what is truly his to have, that he is glorious, that he is worthy of worship, that he is worthy to be praised, that we are to adore him and thank him forever and ever and ever. He's on his throne, folks, and he reigns. Don't ever forget that. No matter what you're going through in your life, no, no matter what it is that you may be facing, no matter what it is that you are confronting or being confronted with, no matter what it is circumstantially that you may be in the midst of, understand that the Lord God is on his throne and he reigns. That word almighty is such a beautiful picture. The pantocrator, it literally means in the Greek, the one who holds all things in his hands. He's the almighty. He's the all-powerful. There's nobody that can come against him. Nobody can thwart his purposes. Think about that. It's incredible. And we are going to praise him. Wearsby says it this way. The literal translation is, the Lord God omnipotent has begun to reign. And in this midst, at the end of the tribulation, at the end of this seven-year period of time, where we see all of heaven saying amen and ascribing him the glory that is rightfully due to him, he begins to reign. Now, folks, I would encourage you, he's reigning in our hearts right now when we yield to him. But what we're talking about is the millennium when he literally comes and physical, he comes, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to reign physically from Jerusalem, and he's going to rule over this earth in the millennium. He reigns now and forever. Let me ask you, how are you praising the Lord today? How are you praising the Lord today? How do we praise the Lord? How are we living in light of these truths? How do we praise him for his justice? How do we walk in the midst of his truth? How do we walk in the midst of understanding that his judgments are eternal, that his rule and reign is not only now, but it's forever. 1 Peter 1.8 says this, though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. <laughs> oh, man. We haven't seen him yet. One day, 1 John 3, verses 1 through 3, we're going to see him face to face. And we're going to be changed to be like him. 1 Peter also goes on. Peter, in writing his epistle, in chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you, but to, do, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ. Keep on rejoicing. So that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. What a beautiful picture. Keep on keeping on. Keep on yielding to the Lord. Keep on learning to die to self. Keep on staying in the word. Keep on walking in the promises of God. Keep on exalting him for he alone is worthy of our praise. Understanding what we're headed to. Understanding that the fullness, the revelation of his glory one day will be revealed and we will be in heaven. Praising God with all the heavenly hosts, both small and great. And in the midst of it, remember what Paul said in Philippians 4.4, 4, 
Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, what? Rejoice. Rejoice. Give joy. Give glory to God and rejoice that he's absolutely in authority, that we're his children and we get to experience him every day.